All right, so we go. Would you open your Bibles with me to Exodus 25? Exodus, well, we're working through a little bit. We've been talking about the Israelites being at Mount Sinai and how God had gathered them there, how he began, <clears throat> they were there organizing themselves. And last week we talked about that he would make for them a covenant. And we, if you go back, you can pick that up off our website about the message last week about making a covenant with them. While they were also there, they were organized into how they were to be. And that organization of how they were to be organized around and when they would move. And they gave them flags to different tribes, and they gave to uh, certain quarters, uh, certain four tribes, three tribes, excuse me, on each side that went around the tabernacle, and they gave them each a flag, that of a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. The reason they did that and only made it very easy for the children so they could just look for the flag for their family and they could easily find where they were because in that mass group, you could get lost. Like I did at camp meeting when I was five. I was at camp meeting, I got lost. And I was held up in front of the whole thing Sabbath afternoon and SoCal camp meeting down in uh, California and said, whose little boy is this, you know? And so my parents had to come and claim me. So that was good. Glad they did that. That was good. So Exodus 25, do you have it there? If you'd look in your Bible together, it will be on the screen. It's on page 56 if you have one of the hard copies. All right, let's begin right at the beginning of verse, first verse. And the Lord said to Moses, so the Lord is directing them, and he said, tell Israel to bring me an offering. You are to receive an offering from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And look at that, whose heart prompts them to give. This was a free will offering, a free will offering to give. It was a thing that different than the tithe. The tithe is to be returned to God, but the offerings are a free will, a free will gift given to God. And he asked them to bring these gifts for they were going to build the sanctuary, the uh, service, the tent thing, and he asked them to please make it free will. Free will, excuse me. Okay, maybe we need to go over this one more time. Do we have to? Well, sweetie, I don't know if you're getting a good grasp of the ratios here. Fine. Okay, all right, let's step by step. Before we spend any money, what's the first thing that we do? Give to God. Good, and why do we do that? Because he first loved and gave to us. Good, 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 good. Okay, great. Now the second jar here is for so many different things. Hold on. What? God lives in heaven, right? Yeah, he lives in heaven. And heaven has streets paved with gold, right? Streets paved with gold, sure, yes. So why does he need my money if I don't even have a job? <laughs> okay, all right, so good question. So basically when we give to God, we're, we're giving to the church. So the church gives the money to God? No, the church keeps the money. Oh, does God know about this? <laughs> yes, he... Uh, Basically built the system, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. See, sweetie, as you grow up, there is nothing better than giving back to God. 
In the Bible, it's the only place God says, test me on this. When it comes to your money, he says, test me. It's almost like he's saying, I dare you. And your mom and I, we do just that. Even when things are tough, we always give the first part of our money back to God. And then the church takes that money and does all kinds of things to make God famous, uh, like camps and mission trips and even VBS that you love so much, and even helps out people that are in need. You can't outgive God. And when God says test him and you do it, he will come through every single time. Okay, Dad, I get it. I do have one question, though. Okay. Why do we need to test God if he already knows all the answers? That's that's good. Let me just retrace my steps here just for a minute. (sighs) (laughs) So... I thought you'd like that one. So free will offerings. So he was asking Israel to bring to them free will offerings, an offering out of your heart and out of your abundance that you have to give. And the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Fortunately, this is an opportunity this time of year to give and to support the church because we're in the red. So we could use your help with local church budget and helping. All right, are you back to Exodus chapter 25, verse 3? These are the offerings that you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and other type of durable leather, arcasia wood, oil, uh, olive oil for the light, Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and on the breastplate. The ephod is, if you could see, the ephod is the outer garment here that he's wearing right here. See that? That's called the ephod. And so put it on the breastplate. Then I want you to make me a sanctuary that I will dwell among them, that I may dwell among them. That powerful statement is an incredible thing for God to say. He is calling to us. In fact, the word that we would use there is to tabernacle, to be among us. To mean that. that idea, that concept of being, he built this dwelling for them to be, that he may dwell among them. This is, this is insightful because in the picture, of course, we can't have it quite to scale. But what they were not allowed to do was they were not allowed to build their tent within 2,000 cubits of the ark. They had to have this open square where they would be organized around. So no one would casually just walk by and not know that they are near the place where God was present. And so here in the sanctuary where they built this tent, they came together. And this is a most fascinating thing that he asked us to build him a sanctuary. Asking to build them this tent. It is, it is really amazing to me. Because in reality, it is the creator who made a place for humans to live. He created the world in for which us to live. But then he turned around and the creator asked us to make him a place to dwell. Isn't that something? Now in reality, they knew, the Jews knew, they could not contain God in that building. God is too big. God is too great. So 
the building itself, they knew that, creating that and making that. And God shared with them, and they knew this uh, right from the start, when they said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is my house that you will build for me? Where will be my resting place? God is kind of teasing them a little bit. It's like, where are you going to build such a huge place for that? Yes. So they built this place where the people could come and worship God, gathered around him. They also did worship in the synagogues when they got more settled. But the people would come before the Lord. When they came, they would come before the temple of the Lord. So where would the people come to worship God? We do, and we built this place so that we'd have a place where we would come and worship God. The purpose of doing that, gathering here in his name. Well, in Israel, they had the settling of what was known as the Shekinah glory. That light, that bright light, that presence of God, God coming down and occupying in the most holy place. During the night, it was a flaming fire. During the day, it was a cloud that would lead them and guide them, and then it would stop. And where the Lord would lead them to the next place, he would just stop. And they would put the ark first underneath it. Then they would start measuring out where the tents would be. And everybody had the same neighbors all the time. You put your tent back in the exact place, in the new spot, but in the same organization. It worked out very well. It went very quickly as people could move from place to place relatively when you have so many hundreds of thousands of people trying to find a place to park. So doing that, making that go. But it's fascinating that later on that the glory had departed. And so and there's this woman, she named her boy Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel. They knew that the light was gone. In fact, when Jesus was uh, walking the earth, they, priests knew there was no light in the sanctuary. There was no light. God's presence was not with them. And instead of turning and saying, Lord, please come back. Please, how do we get you back? They just went on, on, and on. We're obeying your laws. And not really trying to repent and coming back to God. So there came the ascension, the ascension into heaven. And Lord ascended into heaven, which then he promised us a comforter, did he not? A comforter would come and be with us. All right, now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, we have a a place there where it talks about, where I believe a writer, although not identified, um, writer of Hebrews was Paul. The language is very similar uh, to what he used in his writing. So it appears that Paul is trying to share with the Jews how the sanctuary, all those things fit into Christ Jesus. It becomes a great insightful book. But in Hebrews 11, we get back to our topic here, and it says, but uh, Hebrews, excuse me, 9 verse 11, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, And when Jesus became the high priest in heaven, the heavenly sanctuary, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Tabernacle, the word is more perfect dwelling. That is not made from human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He went to a perfect tabernacle. The heavenly sanctuary where God dwells, the very place, the throne room of God, where Jesus sat down at the right hand of our way, he is the high priest ministering the benefits of his sacrifice to us. He went and he sat there and he went to this, not made with human hands, but of a place 
God's very throne room, which evidently is large enough to contain God for him to be not here. But he sent us a comforter. Revelation 21 picks this up as well. And he said, I saw, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Now, the sea represents, in prophecy, sometimes peoples. But here, he's talking about physical sea. Why would he mention there would be no more sea? Well, I like the ocean. I don't know about you. I like to hear the waves. I like to see it. I like to look at the sunset going down on the ocean. Do you not? I look and I praise God for the beauty of which it is. So, what is he really talking about? Is the sea. The sea, in John's day, was a barrier. It was a barrier that separated people. In the new earth, there will be no barriers to separate people. (laughs) There will be no need to separate people. There will be no fear. You go from one place to another, and you know you're going to be welcomed with open arms. You're going to be welcomed as a brother and sister. You're going to be loved before you arrive. The New Earth, it's a, it's a fabulous thought that there will be no more seed, no more division, no more separation of people. We have that. Of course, we have airplanes now that jump from here, place, and there, and everywhere. When you go and travel around the world, I remember how going down into Africa, flying out of Boston, you think you fly for the rest of your life, but it, you just fly and fly and fly, and eventually you end up in a place absolutely fabulous halfway around the world in Nairobi. And it was an incredible experience to be there, but the plane got you there, jumping. And the people, not sure about you, but in the new earth, in the new earth, there'll be no earth. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, preparing as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the theme saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. Would you notice that is in the chapter 21 of Revelation? And if you are a student of the scriptures and know, or even look casually, you will find that this Bible, your Bible, tells the story from the beginning to the end of God's salvation history, God's way of saving mankind. It starts in the beginning and goes in. And in the beginning, God came out. And from the moment of creation, it was God's desire that he walk among men. He decided to come in the morning and the evening, and he would go and walk among with Adam and Eve. And when sin came, that destroyed that and separated him. Because God did not want to kill us by his presence. And so he had to pull back and draw and send us out of the Garden of Eden. It was a terrible thing that happened. Tragic thing that happened. But the end, if we look in Revelation, we see how God then restores back. Restores back to what he had. He created a new heaven and a new earth. See? No more sea, like in the beginning. And he came again to dwell among us. To be face to face with him. What a, what a time that will be. What an emotional moment that will be. So what about today? 
What about today? And I was thinking about the God dwelling. How does God dwell with us today? He wants to. He wants to be present in our hearts. He wants to dwell in us individually. When I grew up in kindergarten, when I was a little boy in kindergarten and Sabbath school, my mother taught cradle roll. And uh, my sister and I, my sister sat neatly in her chair during Sabbath school. She was 18 months older than I am. But I did not. And so she would roll up and put in her purse my dad's belt. And she would take, and when I would get in the seat, she would put the belt around my waist and around the chair and buckle it in back so that I couldn't get up. So I would sit there as a little boy trying to learn Sabbath school. But we learned a song there. Come into my heart, come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. What a beautiful theme and thought. What a beautiful thing about inviting Jesus to come into your heart. He wishes to come and to dwell in you. That's why we mentioned about, it was mentioned this morning, about getting up in the morning and, and uh, welcoming God with prayer. And at the end of the day, it's, we try to make this prayer so difficult when it's just so very simple. And just saying, Lord, come in. Yes, I'm on my way. Let's go, Lord. We didn't have much time this morning, but here we go. Come on with me today. I often will pray to the Lord while I'm driving on my car or when I lay back in bed at night. And I'll say, all right, that was a day. Let's talk. And so I talk a little bit, and then I listen. And there are occasions, John, I know you'll be shocked. There are occasions when I fall asleep while I'm praying. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. So that invitation, Lord, come into my heart, come stay there. That is interesting because our bodies are called to be the temple of God, a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. We often say, well, we want to be, have healthy bodies. Well, true. But the real implication is there to be the temple where God dwells within us, inviting him to come and dwell in us. That's the idea. And he wants to dwell also among us in our church family. The Bible says wherever two or three are gathered together, I am there. I am present. This is his house that we dedicated to him, that we said this place is for the advancement of the Lord. I like the way it said on there, making God famous, <laughs> spreading God's fame. Coming into his house, coming into this place, we come into his presence. And so wherever we are gathered, two or three are gathered together, he's present with us. And so we come in, he come to dwell in them. So he dwells. Not here in a building. He dwells with us when we gather, you see. So Israel knew the presence of the Shekinah glory. They knew when God was with them. They knew that he was present in the tent. They could easily ask the priests, did you see the light? Of course we saw the light. 
Because when the God was present, a light shone up over the top of the curtain and around it. A light shone up of his presence. A light of the Shekinah glory when he was there. And when he was not, Ichabod, glory has departed. When, when he was not, it was dark. And so it was the difference of night and day. So, so how do we have the presence of the Shekinah glory here? And that is something that, for me, as a pastor, I want to be able to, to, be able to answer. No, I'm not expecting there to be a big, bright light, because we don't have that. Jesus is in heaven. Holy Spirit comes and ministers to us. But if we look at the beauty and the presence of God coming and being with us, occupying with us, wherever two or three are gathered together, representing that here we are in God's presence, coming before letting the glory shine and letting his spirit work among us. I would give you a suggestion that when you come into this place, into this room to worship before God, that you open up your heart and invite the spirit of God to have his way in your heart when you are here. And of course every day, but you come, I'm in your house, I've come into your presence, I've come in to worship. How do then can I, can I occupy this space, this time that we have together in the worship and glory of God? How can I do that? Well, next week when we have our Jesus full stop, all full stop conference, that will be starting at 9 o'clock, remember, it goes to about 3.15, when we do that, I'd like to invite you to do that. When you come here, dedicate that day, that special day, for your fulfillment, your thinking, your relationship with God. It'll be a time, there'll be no pressure on you. They're not going to, but you yourself invite God. Say, Look, I've got this time. We're going to do these four sessions together. We're going to emphasize, and the theme is what really matters. That's the theme next week, what really matters. So I want to know what is it that really matters. Share with me. And you open up your way in your heart and let God do that for you. Because the Lord invites us to come and have him dwell in us. Dwell in us. The power and the concept of a God willing to dwell. That's how different it is from all the foreign gods around. When they would take an image... And they still do today. They have an image. They make an image. And they paint the eyes in. It's like they're painting the spirit in there. They give it to you. Here's your idol. Our God can't be contained in an idol. Can't be contained in a room. For the spirit of God moves everywhere. We open up our temple of our heart. And the temple of this place. To welcome him that we may dwell among him. Thank you, Lord, for the concept, the beauty, that we can dwell with you and you with us. And it's a personal thing as well as a corporate thing together as a church family. Lord, we come before you. We want you to come into our hearts, just as we sang when we were children. Lord, be with us then. And Lord, we also want to invite you and to come into your presence here. In this place, we know you do, wherever two or three you were honored, and there are more of us here. We give glory and honor to you. We thank you that we can come 
and have this space for you. In Jesus' name, amen.